It's the UEFA Champions League on Paramount Plus. Europe's top club soccer tournament. Champions versus champions. The best teams facing off in the knockout rounds. Magnificent! And it all takes place. While you're filling out financial reports at work. In the middle of your day, in the middle of your week. So use that second screen. Call in sick. Do whatever you gotta do to tune in Tuesdays and Wednesdays. Nobody watches the UEFA Champions League like us. Stream every match live exclusively on Paramount Plus. CBS Wednesday. We have so many cool, diverse people from different backgrounds, different beliefs, different upbringings, and it just keeps growing. I feel it in my I'm a citizen of the United States. I'm a hustler. I'm a big Taylor Swift fan. I'm the queen of the tribe. I am playing whatever role I gotta play. I'm gonna play this game full speed. I ain't going down like no punk. A new Survivor Wednesday on CBS and streaming on Paramount Plus. Welcome in Lake Higgins Live. It is Thursday night, December 1st, the year of our Lord, 2022. Obviously, we are not high atop downtown Nashville, Tennessee, but rather high atop downtown Atlanta, Georgia. The College Football Hall of Fame, nice enough to open their doors to us, and then they just left. So the place is ours, and we're happy to be with you. Hey, expanding anything apparently makes it better. That's the entire theme of tonight's show. Why not? It's here. College football playoff expansion. So we will dive into that. And I'm not necessarily going to fight it. There's nothing to fight anymore. I am going to march on as only we can, but I am going to give you some thoughts. And I'm going to one last time before we really put this issue or topic to bed, I'm just going to explain to you not how I feel, but why I feel the way I feel and why some of us feel or felt, past tense, the way we felt. we got conference championship Saturday, and I do not want to overshadow that. we got a couple of more games to predict tonight. Also, the latest on the transfer portal, it is evolving as we speak, there have been names that have gone into the transfer portal even since we walked in the building a little while ago, and we're open in the mailbag, as we tend to do on the road, especially on Thursday. So we got a really, really jam-packed show tonight. We're happy to be here in Atlanta. They're watching us just down the road in College Park, Georgia. They're watching us in Huntington Beach, California, Morristown, Tennessee, Spartanburg, South Carolina. They're all tuned in. Hey, let me paper pop for you, because I put out the idea the other day that you gave to me. We hit 150K on the subscriber list. We're actually at like 153 now. So thank you. Now in return, we're giving you what you want. A lot of you asked for a collaboration. I said, okay, let's do the collaboration. Who do you want us to collaborate with? And then you flooded us with names. There are like three or four names that have been the most popular submissions. So I'm not quite ready to put it to a Twitter poll, but I'm saying continue to give me the ideas. Someone... Someone said Jeff Tedford, who I think is the current head coach at Fresno State. Uh, he's not one of the front runners, but I appreciate your submission. Keep them coming. It's not like we're on a deadline, but we'll get this done sometime in December. Fingers crossed. Okay, let's dive in. Take a deep breath. I don't have the chalice with me, so I don't have any mysterious orange liquid to sip. A lot of you think I'm really mad, don't you? A lot of you DM'd me. A lot of you texted me, and you know better, because if you have my number, I thought you were my friend. And you said, boy, I bet you're mad today. Why would I be mad, by the way? I would be mad, allegedly, because the college football playoff is expanding. Very quickly, actually. The Rose Bowl finally capitulated, and the 2024 season is going to be the first time we go to not a 6, not an 8, but a 12-team playoff field. And a lot of you thought that this would upset me because you know my feelings on playoff expansion. And I've 
made it clear many times, and I'm not here to rehash it. I'm not here to change anyone's mind. All that's irrelevant now because we know the future. I was talking to Barrett Salia earlier today. Uh, he has kind of been on the same side of the fence as me, and I kind of agreed with what he said. He said, look, now that this is it moving forward, we got to make the best of it. You know, you still want what's best for the sport. I do. I always have. But I did want to just make a couple of points because I've seen some of you out there making a couple of points, and you're asking me to back you up, and I'll give you my opinion on this. But here's the first thing I want to ask. It may be rhetorical because I've talked to you a lot about this already, but do you know why people like me feel the way we feel? So to be clear, I mean, listen, I think we had it better back before we had a playoff, but I certainly was not a proponent of expanding to 12. But do you know why people like me feel the way we feel? Because, I mean, there are several of us out there now. It's not like you can count us on one hand. And I've asked that anytime I'm in a debate about playoff expansion, anytime I do a radio hit about playoff expansion, and I start going back and forth with the host, I stop. And I say, I think I can articulate your point of view. If you're an expansionist, I guarantee you, I can articulate your point of view. Can you articulate mine? And I have found, not so surprisingly, that not many of you can. Some of you can, and then you just disagree, and we go on our merry way. But I get a lot of you, I mean, especially some of these clowns today that said, well, you just must not love college football. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I must not love college football. That's probably, that's probably you being on the right track there. I probably just don't love the game. So... Sweeping that aside, some of the other indictments that I get hurled my way is, well, you just must not want more football. How can more of a good thing be a bad thing? And I equate it to currency. How can printing more money be a bad thing? Well, if you respect the value of said thing, then you understand just endlessly printing more of it doesn't automatically make it a better thing. That's the way I've always looked at it. We can differ in our opinion. And then I have people who really, truly just don't think people like me understand how expansion of the playoff will give us more meaningful games. Obviously, the logic there, and we're about to see it put to the test, is sure Ohio State Michigan meant a lot last week, but now we can get the North Carolinas of the world to have their games mean a lot, and we can get who else is in there? At any team, any team really in the, in the 8 to 20 range, we could get their games to mean a lot. Also, if you had the ability to backdoor your way into a conference championship, you think I don't understand that, and I do. I understand totally what that means. Here's where I try and meet you guys in the middle, and I'm speaking to expansionists right now, and I've just really never been able to do it. I've never been able to convince enough, I guess, that... What you're trading in exchange for that is not worth the trade-off. That really was the crux of our disagreement. Do you think it's going to disproportionately impact the regular season? I do. You don't. The end. That's where the argument normally ends. But I got tossed a few other things today, and I noticed it from like five or six different people. So apparently it was this major talking point going around the sport. I've heard before people try and make the comparison of basketball to football. And I've heard people make the comparison of the NFL to college football. I've heard all that. Okay, that's, that's old hat. But at like five different times today, I had people ask me, why do you think this format works? Why do you think this idea works for college basketball as a foundation and it won't work for college football? That's a different line of questioning. That's where you got to drop the pen for a second. Because did you notice that word, the F word? It's one we can use on air here. They said foundation. 
Why does that foundation work for college basketball? I think a lot of you are picking up what I'm putting down right now, but if you're not, they're exactly right in the way they present that. They're exactly right in the way artic they articulated it. The NCAA tournament is the foundation for college basketball. College basketball is a postseason sport, and there is a massive dichotomy between what college football has been and what college basketball has been, because one is built to serve the end, and one is built where the beginning and then the middle part is really the meat, and then whatever comes at the end is sort of a cherry on top. And that is what has been different about college football as opposed to every other sport. You could either look at that and think it's beautiful like me, or you can look at it and say, nope, we can't have this one outlier. We need to hammer that into oblivion and make it look like everything else. And you got your way. I'll admit that. You got your way. I don't ever want to see college football become a postseason first sport. Although I fear with the steps we took today, that's where we're headed. But I want to ask you something, because I want to take a little bit different angle than just sitting here and mindlessly arguing about things that are irrelevant at this point. Boy, did you notice the outpouring of support from all the college football players today at the announcement of college football playoff expansion. No, you didn't notice that, did you? You didn't notice that much at all, did you? Didn't hear a whole lot of players talking about it. I heard nameless, faceless bureaucrats and administrators. Why? Because you just line their pockets. They should be happy. Truthfully, I should be happy because we got a ton more inventory to sell. Millions more dollars worth of inventory. So if anything, I'm over there with them. I'm not of them, but I'm over there with them. All of us should be happy. But I didn't hear many players talk, at least on the record. You know what I spent today doing? I spent today talking to players off the record. Because here's what I know. Two truths right now in the world of college football. A ton of players hate this. And hardly any of them will admit it to you publicly because that's akin to admitting that they don't love the game. That's akin to them admitting they're not all in. Whether they'll admit it publicly or not, they will talk about it behind the scenes. Not only that, I kid you not, I'm in a house with Todd Gurley earlier today doing something for a client of ours, Verbo. And this news breaks. And Todd Gurley's sitting there. Tenth overall draft pick back in, I think, 2014 or 15. So this guy is the poster child for the kind of player who would be featured on the kind of team that would be in this conversation. And I told him what just happened. He said, what happened? And I explained the format to him. What do you think he said? You think he said, boy, I wish that was around when I was a player. Boy, that's going to make college football more exciting. No, this is a former player that looked me dead in the eye and said, I'd hate that, man. I would hate that if I were a college football player. And let me tell you why. You love college football. I love college football. We don't play it. You don't really put your body on the line outside of going to Publix on Saturday morning and picking up whatever you're going to eat. You get back home, you prop up on the couch, and you're good to go. These dudes play. So you can sit there and you can say, oh, it's just one more game, it's just two more games. Do you understand if teams do not have first-round buys, you're asking them to play 17 games? You're asking them to basically do what NFL players do, and hopefully you got some NIL peanuts over there. Otherwise, the majority of you just suck it up, just love the game, just love it like us. And that love's always been there. That's what's been taken for granted. You were always able to take for granted that players are willing to go over the cliff fighting for the thing that you and I value, a championship. Why? Or even a playoff spot. Why? Because those were precious. Why were they precious? Because they were scarce. The law of scarcity indicates you can't maintain that value when you increase the overall amount. But I hope I'm wrong. I really hope I'm wrong. 
And I hope people like Todd Gurley and I hope the players I talk to today nearly unanimously are the minority. Boy, I sure do hope that players are still willing to go over the cliff. I sure do hope that the term playoff opt-out doesn't ever become a thing. I think it will because I think the value that you and I have come to learn to place on a playoff spot radically changes when you have not two times, but three times the amount that we currently have right now. Now look, again, I will reiterate for like the umpteenth time, I hope I'm wrong. I hope the laws of scarcity that quite literally apply in every other economic and social avenue of our society are just exempt from college football. sure do hope that. I sure do hope, for example, that adding more of what caused the problem fixes the problem. I don't think it will, obviously. So I'm using more 50,000-foot view here. But I, I had someone else tell me today, you don't think that playoff will be awesome? I've never said that. Quite the opposite. I think in and of itself, the 12-team playoff will be an incredible spectacle. It'll be an incredible product. You're starting on Chapter 11 of the book when you ask me that question. That's not where the conversation starts. The conversation starts not on December 1st or January 1st. It starts, or it should start, on August 31st or September 1st, that Labor Day weekend, where right now we play games that matter. No one cares about those games now. Outside of the diehard fans, you and I will always care. But, I mean, I want you to think about trying to convince someone that there is a must-see game. There's a must-see game right now, college football, even though I know not only can these teams afford to lose this one, they can lose one more, they can lose two more, it'll be fine. Uh, that's not the way this works. But those, that's where my thoughts are today. That's where my mind's at today. I am not a big fan of this, but I will support the sport, and I will hope I'm wrong, sincerely hope I'm wrong, because uh, what I hope is, I think, going against all logic and conventional wisdom, but that's where we are. Paper on the ground, I'll probably never pick that one up. Academy Sports and Outdoors, your one-stop shop for everything you could possibly need. Uh, they are going to be in town. I have it on good authority. Our Academy reps are in town this week, so I'm probably going to meet up with them at some point. A lot of you have taken to sending me pictures of your receipts as you gear up for the SEC championship game, which I encouraged you to do the other night, and I still encourage you to do that because we're going to pick about 10 of you, and we're going to pay your bill. Apparently the other night I said pay for your trip, and while I meant your trip to Academy, a lot of you thought I meant your trip to Atlanta. Not quite going to be able to pay all that, but if you go buy over $50 worth of gear, I can take care of that for you, at least 10 of you. So Academy Sports and Outdoors, you know by now. They're the reason we get to do what we get to do. They're the reason that we no longer have to broadcast the show like this, sort of in a quasi-broom closet. And by the way, it's not some fabric company. Trust me, I've worked at one. It's not some random chemical plant. It's a place that has stuff you need. So not only do they support the show and bring it to you free of charge, they also got a lot of stuff you need, and truthfully, you're going to buy anyway during the holiday season. Just hit up Academy. If you can't get there in person, academy.com. And this is a piece of paper that we will never throw away. We saved that one. Hey, we got games that we still need to break down. Uh, let's talk about the Big 12 championship game. TCU, Kansas State. This is a noon Eastern time kickoff on ABC Saturday. This one was an instant classic last year. I was, what, next door. And I was watching on the monitor. The SEC championship game is going on, okay? And as it's going on, you got Baylor and Oklahoma State playing down to the wire. You remember how that game ended. Baylor, I mean, they are putting up a goal line stand for the ages. Dave Aranda's heartbeat never gets above 85, and they win the game. I think this kind of game could unfold similarly. I think it could be the game of the day. 
And I think that you can't help but look back when these two teams played earlier this year. 28 to 10 was the score. Midpoint second quarter, uh, TCU is well behind. I think Kansas State's putting it on them. I put that game over to the side because I was at another game. So you can imagine my surprise when I see the final score and it's 38 to 28. And I think there's no way TCU just went on a 28 nothing run, except that TCU went on a 28 nothing run. And as the season has gone along, these two teams have separated themselves. That's why they're going to play in Arlington Saturday. The first half, second half thing, which we got burned by in the TCU-Texas game, I'm going to hit on it one more time. I'm going to tell you one more time. Kansas State, first half, they are plus 122 point margin. They're dominating first halves. TCU, second half, they're plus 107 point margin. So look, I'm probably going to put some money on Kansas State first half. I did it with Texas, and uh, they proceeded to get shut out first half. So that was always fun. What does the game mean overall? I know we got the playoff backdrop here. I'm a believer TCU is 95% in the playoff. I am not a believer that if they get blown out, they're just still in. And I know what the arguments are. I could make the pro-TCU argument. I've been doing it for like the last six weeks. I'm just saying there are other forces at work. You know, the same ones that got their way with playoff expansion today also understand that Alabama logo in the playoff means a whole heck of a lot more on the bottom line than that TCU logo. So, you guys want me to be real? Yeah, I'm being real. I would also argue that Pac-12 championship game is going to be interesting because that conference understands that Trojan logo. That's our only shot. That's our only shot. Not to be Oliver Stone on you or anything. I'm just saying, since we're going to be real, I'm going to, I'm going to keep it real too. Kansas State, if they get up in the first half, no sweat with TCU. No sweat at all because they've been in that position several times. However, if TCU gets up, if it's them up 17-6, to six, that's an unfamiliar position. Quite frankly, for both teams, it's an unfamiliar position. Just keep an eye on that because those are two different positions that would lead to two totally different comfortability factors. I went back and I was looking at the first time these teams played. I really think Deuce Vaughn needs a better game. I'm not saying he played bad. That's the running back for Kansas State. Didn't have a bad game when they played the first time. Uh, he was 12 of 83. He had four receptions, 38 yards. Well, he wasn't 12 of 83. He had it 12 times, 483. That's a good day. He has to have an All-American caliber day. Okay, He, he needs to be in that 17 or 18 carries, 150-plus yards. That's the kind of afternoon he needs. Quite frankly, he needs to give them the same kind of performance they got out of him when Kansas State played Oklahoma State. And they were without Martinez. Turns out it didn't matter. But they rode Deuce Vaughn pretty heavily that day. I think they need to do that again here. And the other thing, if you want to flip it to the other side of the field, Quentin Johnson for TCU did not particularly go off. He had four catches for 74 yards. So really two of the primetime players in this game, I won't say they were bottled up because 83 and 74 yards respectively is not bottled up. But, man, they did not get turned loose like we've seen them get turned loose several more times this year. Max Duggins had a great year. Max Duggins should be in a lot more conversations for postseason awards than he is. 29 to 3 touchdown to interception ratio this year. I've always been a believer that on like conference championship Saturday, that's where those big time players step up. I think one of the more overused phrases out there for people just searching for something to say is, oh, big time players make big time plays in big time games. But they kind of do. And in this particular case, as we start to think about a pick here, as much as I love Deuce Vaughn, and look, I got immense amounts of respect for the Kansas State program. 
I think TCU's got a little of that downhill momentum. And I think that not only when you look at Duggan, but when you look at Kendra Miller, the running back there at TCU, 13 consecutive games with at least one rushing touchdown. It's not a one-man show. I know that maybe some of the national types would lead you to believe it's Max Duggan and a cast of thousands. No, uh, they got some players here. So here's what I think in relation to the Vegas number. The Vegas number currently, as you see on the bottom of your screen, it's TCU minus two and a half. What are they begging you to do? I would argue they're begging you to lay the points and take the favorite there. TCU's gone this far. Why can't they go one step further? And here's the thing. Sometimes when people set a trap, you think to yourself, I'm, I'm quick enough to get in there before it snaps on me. And I am foolish enough to be that person. So I am going to lay the points. I'll show you what the model thinks. The model actually has TCU minus four. And so the model thinks that not only should the Horned Frogs be favored, we cross three. It's a very key number in this game. So TCU wins. I'm going to lay the points. I think TCU covers as well. And I know that that makes for a boring Sunday for some of you, depending on what USC does. That makes a boring Sunday for some of you. Uh, look, I'm going to be glued like the rest of you if Kansas State wins comfortably here. But bottom line is TCU has earned the right. At least in my mind, they've earned the right. And I think I'm going to say something, and we're going to move on, because I don't really say this very often, because I don't, I don't traffic in this sort of thing. But I think this is true. If this were, let's say, a Florida State logo, uh, instead of a Horned Frog logo. If this were a Michigan logo, and everything else was the same. If this was a Texas logo. If this was an Oklahoma logo. Do you honestly think we would be talking about the different scenarios with which that team could be left out? No. They'd actually be probably ranked ahead of either Georgia or Michigan right now. So, I've never done it on air, but there it is. There's the Horned Frog sign. Next up. We got, a, we got a jet over, private jet now, just regional jet. We got to hop over to Charlotte and we got to talk about the ACC championship game. Greetings, Fantasy Warriors. I'm Heath Cummings, your guide to fantasy dominance on FFT Dynasty. Join me this offseason where mock drafts become epic showdowns and every pick shapes your legacy. If, if I was Adam with the team that he's built, Will Levis makes so much more sense. And that's not all. We're peeling back the curtain on the future with our exclusive 2024 NFL Draft Prospect Profiles. Uncover hidden gems that'll elevate your roster to legendary status. Puka Nakua. After Cooper Cup, we really have no idea who's going to get the targets. Keaton Mitchell of East Carolina. Explosive speed is ridiculous. This isn't just a podcast. It's a playbook for champions. Subscribe to FFT Dynasty now, and together, we'll conquer the fantasy football frontier. Your dynasty journey starts here. Explore the weaponization of rap lyrics in the criminal justice system in the new documentary, As We Speak, Rap Music on Trial. Now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Terms apply. Someone asked me earlier today, you going to watch the ACC championship game? Yes! Yes, I'm going to watch the ACC championship game. Uh, is it going to be something that I instantly order a copy of and distribute to 50 of my closest friends? Probably not. But let's talk about it. North Carolina, Clemson, Saturday, 8 Eastern on ABC. Clemson currently a seven-and-a-half point favorite. Clemson has played for their seventh ACC title in the past eight years, and, of course, last year's the exception. They didn't even play for the title. And North Carolina's 9-3. and three. So let me ask you, if we were to we, 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 we rewind to July, and I just give you the following statements. Clemson's going to play for the ACC championship. Uh, they're going to at least win double-digit games. 
North Carolina is going to play for the ACC championship. What would you have thought? You think Clemson probably got back to normal, although you wouldn't be completely sold on it because you probably don't respect the ACC strength of schedule. But at the very least, if I told you North Carolina is playing for the ACC championship, we did a segment on them in the, in the August time frame, and I said, hey, I think we were a year too early on them. I think they may be better this year than they were last year. Turned out that was the case. You would have thought, if I crystal balled it and I told you, hey, North Carolina is going to Charlotte, you would have thought it's been a magnificent season. It's been a magic carpet ride for them. Everyone must be ecstatic. And yet, they lost last week. Both of them did. And the energy around the program is kind of, all oh, right, yes, we're, we're, going to, we're going to Charlotte. Okay. But in this college football playoff world in whence we live, it's being called a meaningless game. Don't tell the players that. Don't tell me that because it's not that. But that's what the streets are saying about the ACC championship game. 31 to 30 last week, Clemson goes down. Uh, 30 to 27, North Carolina goes down. So here's what I want to know. Let's just start with the Tigers. Let's start with the formerly defending champions of this conference. Is there a killer instinct game? They haven't had it uh, for the wire-to-wire duration of the season, but do they have it in them? You know what I mean. Do they have that Clemson game? The one where you turn it on and you go, okay, that's Clemson now. It's, it's 27 to 3. Like when they played NC State earlier this year, I thought that was when they looked the most like that team. And it wasn't a 52 to 10 massacre, but North Carolina State never had a shot in that game. It was a true boa constrictor special. And I hadn't seen much of that Clemson. I certainly didn't see him last week. I didn't see him against Notre Dame. Well, this is the next biggest game they get to play. And so do you see that? The other thing, if you do see that Clemson as it relates to North Carolina is that Clemson has a crowbar in their hand. And yeah, they can beat you with it. But really what they can do to your offense is just toss it in the spokes. And your bicycle comes to a grinding halt. And you fly over the handlebars. Your face looks like street pizza. The end. You just get shut down. North Carolina had that happen to them. North Carolina couldn't run the ball. Timing and rhythm disrupted. They just drop eight on you all afternoon, all evening, all night. And you can't throw the ball to save your life. So Drake May is the most important player in this game. Quarterback there for North Carolina. He needs to have his J.J. McCarthy game. He needs to do to Clemson what J.J. did to Ohio State last week. It doesn't have to be 15 or 20 throws. It needs to be a few explosives, and you need to draw Clemson in in order to complete those explosives. But what can't happen here is they can't get shut down on the ground. And right now, you look at North Carolina's metrics, they're probably average at best. They're probably floating in the mid-60s or so in terms of rushing statistics, depending on which stat category you want to break down. You can't have that. Because if you play to that standard and nothing more, Clemson will shut you down. And as I said, they'll drop eight, and they'll do exactly to you what they did to North Carolina State, and it will be virtually impossible for you to find the end zone. You have got to hit explosives. you got to do it, and that has to come from being able to run the ball. What worries me is if you're looking at North Carolina's schedule right now, and I'm trying to sell myself on this upset, I want teams peaking. I want teams playing their best ball this time of year. I don't want them having lost to Georgia Tech and NC State to close the season, and then, oh well, consolation prize, you still get to go to Charlotte. That's why the fan base is kind of lukewarm towards this game. Now, having said that, if you want me to sell you, and you want me to use a a recent historical data point, might I remind you the Florida Gators sucked water through a garden hose, or South Carolina did against Florida. They could not get in the end zone. 38-6 38-6 to 6 was the final. And then they proceeded to dispose of two top 10 teams. 
the next two weeks in Tennessee and Clemson. So this season has shown us anything can happen. There's a reason those are exceptions to the rule, though. It's very hard for that to happen. I will say this, though. Mac Brown, when you've put him in the underdog role this year, he is 3-0 and against the spread. More importantly, he's 3-0 and straight up. And motivation is certainly not an issue here. But Clemson, look, here's where I start to make the pick. Uh, they're favored by 7.5. Our model has Clemson all the way up at minus 10. To be fair, it is, I think, overvalued Clemson to a degree this year. But I also worry that if that organization, if that program has sort of recalibrated their goals and they know we can't go to the playoff, we can't win a title, what we can do then is use all that energy and just unload it in this game, I think you'll get the best of Clemson. I certainly think they'll be motivated coming off of what they did and didn't do last week. I thought they'd cover last week and they lost. I'll go right back to the well. I think they're going to win, and I'm going to lay the 7.5. I think they're going to cover. Uh, this is certainly not a best bet. This is not anything that I will be putting my own shekels on, but if I have to make a pick and the rules of the show state that I do, I am going to go with them. All right, let's dive into the mailbag. I appreciate you guys being tuned in. If you're tuned in live, uh, several thousand of you are, by the way, please just hit that thumbs up button. Uh, 409 is a poverty number. We should have way more than 409 likes. If, if not me, do it for Big Game Dane, please. Standing over there with his hands on his hips, looks distraught. So I had a question earlier today from one of our esteemed viewers, and it's a really good one, and I think it's been the theme of the year, and it was about being one play away. How many teams, if we're looking at the college football playoff rankings right now, are one play away? Jack was the one who sent it to us. He said, what teams do you think were just a couple of plays away from having a very different season from Oxford, Mississippi? Hey, I got four of them that just come to the top of my mind immediately. What if I went back to the beginning of the year and I changed, let's say, the last play of that LSU-Florida State game? I mean, it ended up being a close game. Let's just say LSU, even with all of their flaws that evening there in New Orleans, let's say they win that game. I don't know that anything else would have changed the rest of the year. I do know if I kept everything about the rest of the year the same, boy, they go into College Station last week knowing not only do we potentially have a playoff spot on the line, we got a prime playoff spot on the line. And it's not a conference game I'm changing, so presumably they still win the conference or they still win the division. They go to the conference title game. I just would love to see. Now, here's the backlash. Here's what could have happened. Had they won that game, they could have gotten too full of themselves. They could have been upset a couple of weeks later. I don't know how it would have played out, but I'd be very interested to see. Now, because that did play out Florida State's way, I'm not going to talk about the Knowles yet, but in a couple of minutes I'm going to talk about them, it directly impacts Mike Norvell and company. How about Alabama? This is basically the theme of this entire question is Alabama. How do you change one team's fortunes? Well, change one player, change two plays. And since Jack gave me the ability to change two, clearly, let's go back to Knoxville. Third Saturday in October. We're standing there, and we're watching a field goal go in. But before that, what, what did we have to watch? We had to watch an Alabama field goal not go in. Now look, you're talking to a guy here who has no trouble making kicks. But Alabama makes kicks. <laughs> if you don't know what I'm talking about, you just need to check the socials at Late Kick Josh. <clears throat> we, had some, we had some fun behind us before the show. Alabama misses a field goal. If they make the field goal, Tennessee's got 20-some-odd seconds left. They're probably not driving the field. I say probably because I saw what they were able to do anyway. 
Alabama's an undefeated team at that point. They've got room for a loss. They're probably in the playoff. But even if I keep that the same, and I just have LSU not convert that two-point conversion against Bama, Bama's still in the playoff. Or Bama's in Atlanta. That's what they are. They're in Atlanta. Now, here would be a fun conversation. What happens if we got a one-loss Bama, and they're about to play Georgia, and if Georgia wins, that makes them a two-loss Bama? How are we handling them? Is it different because they played in a conference championship game? Is it different because their second loss came to the number one team in the country? Is it different? I don't know. Uh, I think there would be a lot of hypocrisy out there, safe to say. People arguing for Bama, and it would probably come from the same camp of folks who would probably be arguing against TCU if they lose Saturday. Now I want to get back to Florida State. Uh, I, I look at when they lost to Clemson. Don't even change that game. But I look at the next week, Clemson loss. And then, it was the week before actually, so the week before Florida State played Clemson, they played North Carolina State. And down in the 20, I think 22, 21 yard line area, Jordan Travis throws a pick. And that's ball game, 19 to 17, North Carolina State wins. And at the time, you didn't think anything of it. It was their second consecutive loss, they still got a long way to go. So you're thinking to yourself, Florida State, maybe they'll still make a bowl game. No. They, after the Clemson game, didn't lose again. One, two, three. They ran off five in a row. So if I shave one loss off there, again, I understand you can't change one thing in life and keep everything that, that followed it the same. But just for argument's sake, how different does that look? Because that's shaving away a conference loss, too. Could it have impacted the way they played against Clemson next week? I don't know, uh, but I do know that it would have made that ACC, at least a division over there, of that ACC playoff race and conference race a whole lot more fun. The last one that I wanted to touch on is Texas. Uh, Texas, they lost 37-34 to 34 to Texas Tech, and that was with Hudson Card, who is now in the transfer portal, at quarterback, and that was after Quinn Ewers had gone down, and so they lost to Texas Tech, but they led 31-17? to 17? And that's a game I thought was over. And Texas Tech did everything necessary to hang around and nothing more until it was time to go win. And in overtime, they went and won it. If I change Texas' schedule here, you look they had the loss to Bama by one point. Not a big deal. If they beat Texas Tech and we keep everything else the same, they get in the back half of that season. And look, even if they lose to Oklahoma State, even if they lose to TCU, even if I kept everything else the same, that changes the entire complexion of the Big 12 championship picture. Even as it was, guys, Texas was still alive last week. Texas was still in it. Uh, they needed help, obviously. They didn't control their own destiny. So LSU, Bama, FSU, Texas, truthfully, I could, I could go on and on and on for another 20 or so minutes about this segment, but I'm really hungry, so I'm not going to do that. But, yeah, there, there are a lot of teams this year because I don't think that there's been separation. Like at the beginning of the year, I talked to you when I was showing you the JP poll. I showed you the gap. Um, odds-making-wise, I showed you how wide the, the numeric gap was between one and two and then the rest of the field. There's still a gap, obviously, but it really, really shrunk. And I just don't think that we've had an elite team. We do not have a team this year with the kind of data profile of 2019 LSU or 2020 Alabama. We don't have that. I would favor those teams by 10 points over everyone in the field this year. And that includes Georgia. Uh, Georgia's a very good defensive team. Georgia last year was a really good defensive team. 
and you saw what Bama did to them across the street when they had their offensive weapons, and that team the year before was better than this Bama team last year. Anyway, I say all that to say you can't change plays. That's why we play the games on the field and not on paper. Next question. This one's going to be fun uh, because we are going to have some strong opinions on this one in the comment section. Gavin hit us up. He said, if Ohio State somehow gets in, does their freeze point have them enough to then win a national championship? Now, the freeze point, uh, that is trademarked nomenclature for late kick. It essentially means, are you good enough? Do you meet the minimum baseline requirements that it takes for a team to be able to win a title? Absolutely, Ohio State meets it. And I think it would shock some of you to know that if those two teams you watched in Columbus last week Michigan and Ohio State, you know if they played right here on this little neutral field we're on, you know who'd be favored? It isn't Michigan. Now, it'd be a very small spread, but it isn't Michigan. And it reminds me, speaking of the SEC championship game last year, reminds me when we saw Bama, Georgia, and you saw Bama run them out of the building, you saw the same two teams play a month later, who was favored? It was Georgia, favored again. And a lot of people said, how can this be? Uh, well, how'd that game turn out? And so I'm not saying Ohio State would beat Michigan in the rematch. I'm not saying they wouldn't. I'm saying, yeah, I think it would be a very competitive game. I think it would be at the very least a tight point spread. Now the game would be what the game is. Uh, so the short answer is yes. Here would be my question. This is not far away from happening. We only need USC to lose uh, in order for this to happen, theoretically. What would the mentality of Ohio State be? I was listening to our buddy Zach Smith talk about this the other day. I mean, he coached there, knows a bunch of players there still, knows guys on that staff. And I think even he was struggling to understand if they do get in the playoff, like, what are we getting from them? Where are they checked out? Are they able to check back in? Uh, C.J. Stroud, you know, what kind of performance do you get from him? Which Ohio State do we get? Because right now, you know, the team that would be slightly favored against Michigan, the team that would be favored or at least expected to fight Michigan, it's an all-in Ohio State team. Would we get that? I don't know. Uh, how did that loss impact them? I can speak pretty confidently for past Ohio State teams that if you offered them, if you dangled that piece of red meat on the end of a fishing line, hey, you just lost to Michigan, but we're going to give you another shot at it. You wouldn't even get the sentence out of your mouth before 47 of them just jumped up and took it from you. Is this team like that? Does this team have that kind of instinct about it? I don't know, and I think a lot of our viewers in Buckeye Land are kind of feeling the same way. I don't know. I don't really know if we have that. And you know what? History has shown us if you're still asking that question about your team by December, they don't have it. So if they still get in, they get a chance to prove you wrong, obviously. But here's the flip side of that. There's always a flip side, Meemaw said. And the flip side is... What if they get in and get beat by 30 against Michigan? What if they got another shot? You talk about going from being humbled to being castrated as a program. You get in again, and then they do it to you. It's like basically when we saw Utah and Oregon play last year, and Utah just drug them, like 38 to 10. But then three weeks later, voila, Oregon got a chance at redemption. They're going to play Utah in the Pac-12 championship game. Splattered. And it was every bit as bad and every bit as physical a mismatch as it was the first time. That's Oregon-Utah. If that happened in the Ohio State-Michigan rivalry, you're talking about folks going into a mental and psychological shell 
minimum until July. I would not see or hear from some of you until fall camp open next year. So yeah, it's great for you to get another shot. Careful what you wish for, I guess. I think some of you feel that way, actually. Uh, let's keep it moving here. Out of conference schedule. We've got a couple more here. I got one about Dion coming up. And as of, as of airtime tonight, we're live, but I don't think he's taking a job anywhere. Um, how about this out of conference schedule question? Because this is one that I made sure to get in the show because of the news that came out today. So the news about college football playoff expansion comes out today, and Ethan asked, with that 12-team playoff on the horizon, will more teams search for tougher non-conference opponents with more breathing space? Or do you think we'll continue to see a thin slate of Power 5 matchups for the future? From Palm Desert, California. Hashtag Big Ten Country. I see what you did there, buddy. Yeah, I think this will happen. So... I've always been clear with you guys how I feel about the playoff, but I've also told you, despite me not liking it, I understand that there are certain positives to college football playoff expansion. It's not all bad. And part of the good that we can take from this, even if you feel the way I do, is, yeah, teams are going to be fearless to schedule up. Now that you know you can lose a, a quarter of your games, why not? Schedule up. And so that will give us better regular season matchups, and that is a very good thing. I don't know that those regular season matchups then mean nearly as much as they used to because they have a giant safety net built under them. But at the very least, we'll get the games. Now, here's what I would suggest. I wouldn't argue it. I would say now that you have given the entire sport the understanding that there are so many more spots at the postseason table to go around, there should be no excuse for the SEC playing FCS competition. should be no excuse for it. There should be no excuse for anyone refusing to schedule up or let me rephrase it if you do it's your right but you've got to see them get punished especially in this new playoff era you've got to put a special emphasis if you're the playoff committee on disproportionately punishing folks who don't schedule up because there's no reason not to anymore and i almost wonder whereas this has been handled at the university level to this point for the last like five million years college football schedules have been handled in-house I almost wonder if the conferences don't get together and say, hey, since we've already got this much money on the line and since we've already got this big fat playoff at the end of the year and there's no reason to be scheduling scared anymore, let's take it out of their hands. Okay, let's let's not only if I'm the Big Ten, let's not only have me setting your conference schedule. Let me also take it upon myself for you, Michigan State, to go call Auburn. Let me take it upon myself for you, Michigan to go call Texas. You know, let me make sure that we're fulfilling our end of the bargain. Because, man, the other part of this, and I know that you've been told this group of people doesn't matter anymore, there's this group of people, we call them fans, and I still think they kind of matter. And what you ask them to do is you ask them to pay a lot of money to attend your games. Georgia's schedule, since they're right down the road, is atrocious next year. It's not all their fault. They had an out-of-conference opponent that the conference slammed the door on. I think it was Oklahoma. I think Greg Sankey said, no, you're not playing that anymore. So they had to go schedule a roast beef tech in, in lieu of that. But you're paying season ticket prices for an inferior product. And so in the future, man, you got to at least get the bang for your buck because they're asking you, if your team goes to the playoff, they're asking you, theoretically, pay for season tickets, check, and all that goes along with that. Uh, pay for conference championship tickets, check. Pay for a, what would it be, a quarterfinal matchup? Then pay for a semifinal matchup. 
then pay for national championship. You just spent, how much money did you just spend? Like, this is not even realistic. I understand it. Uh, we will have fully corporatized the crowd structure when it comes to this playoff. Um, so I'm not even going to beat that pinata. It's already on the ground over here, breathing its last breath. But in the meantime, boy, you could give me a lot better regular season games. And I think they will. I think that will happen. All right, last question here tonight. And then we got to roll. I appreciate you guys being tuned in. We got a good crowd tonight. Garrett hit us up. He says, if Prime leaves Jackson State, is he quitting before the goals are met? We're talking about Deion Sanders here. Garrett said he promised to bring more exposure to HBCUs after flipping Travis Hunter. But I just saw those Florida FSU game viewer numbers. Does the spotlight dim over historically black colleges again if Deion Sanders leaves? Uh, nothing's official here. It looks for all the world like Deion Sanders is probably going to be on the move. I would expect that to happen at some point this weekend if it does happen. Uh, Colorado's thought to be the betting favorite. I have no inside information on that. So let's just say for argument's sake he does. Um, man, I think he's absolutely fulfilled his promise. Tenfold, actually. I would simply ask you, Garrett, maybe it was a short sample size, but how much have you talked Jackson State football this year? And once you answer that question, including this very segment on this show, which we otherwise wouldn't have done, ask yourself, how much have you talked about him in the past? I remember so vividly, we were down in Fort Lauderdale for our National Signing Day show. The early signing day, that's the one where A&M went crazy. And it got to be about 1 o'clock. We had been on the air since 9 a.m. It got to be about 1 o'clock in the afternoon, and that's when he pulled Travis Hunter. That's when Dion shocked the world, literally, and pulled Travis Hunter. It got to be 1 p.m. A&M is en route to locking up the highest-rated recruiting class in 24-7 sports history. And by 1 p.m., we had talked more Jackson State than we had Texas A&M. And I said that to someone in the break room when we were taking a little break, and they said, wow, it was like it hadn't dawned on anyone. And that was the moment in time I knew that guy had changed the game for HBCUs. And not only that, he had changed the game for how they get talked about and how we cover them. So... I would say he's already fulfilled on that promise, and I would also argue this. Just because Deion Sanders walks out the door doesn't mean he didn't open the door for 5, 10, 15 more folks like him to come in and make similar impacts. I really believe, and I've had this validated, I've had people tell me, I really believe there are people who are ready to get in the coaching game now that five years ago weren't entertaining the thought. But the thing about it is a leader stepped up, Deion Sanders stepped up, and he said, hey, I think I can do this. And he did it. And now apparently he's going to go do it at a higher level if the rumors are true. Who steps in? Who, who, who steps in that otherwise wouldn't have stepped in? How many doors did Deion Sanders open for folks? And I'm not just talking about at the HBCU level. What he's about to go do, mark my words, is going to open the door for some, what you would call at the time, unconventional candidates, unconventional hires to get a shot. Uh, that's the promise that he's fulfilling. So it's a lot bigger, respectfully, than just what can he do for Jackson State. It's what he's doing for people, and it's what he's doing for the sport of football overall. Uh, that's the way it should be. That's the way I think he wants it, and that's the way it has been. All right, we got to get out of here. I appreciate you guys sincerely. Uh, we're in Atlanta. Obviously, we'll be across the street at the SEC Championship game Saturday. Remember, remember, there is a lot going on right now. you got to be following on the socials, at Late Kick Josh. Bonus coverage, you get to see me kick a field goal from earlier. But real talk, coaching changes are happening, transfer portals happening at Lake Kick Josh. 
that's where you can find me. Appreciate you guys so much. We'll be back in Nashville Sunday night. Enjoy the games this weekend. They do mean something. Enjoy them. Take care. We'll see you Sunday. God bless. Humanity. When I look at your faces, I do not see defeat. No! And I do not see surrender. It's far from over. You will not make that stand alone. We have something the enemy does not. We have heroes. Halo. New season now streaming. Exclusively on Paramount+. Plus.